absolutely beautiful and pleasant and wonderful for the people of God to be able to assemble to worship our true God in spirit and in truth. What an honor it is, and um, and and what a great what a great and amazing purpose in life to be able to worship to worship God, and not only to worship God, but to worship God acceptably, and not only to worship God acceptably, but to worship God and for God and for heaven to respond to our worship. That is an amazing thing. Let's go to our great God in prayer, please. Heavenly Father, we praise you. Holy and righteous, we know that you are. Hallowed be your great and amazing name. Thank you, Lord God, for sending Jesus to make the world right, to make your church right, that we might be able to worship you, to worship you in spirit and in truth, to be called your children, to be protected from the evil one, and to be saved in the end. Help us, Lord God, to live our lives in such a way that brings glory and honor to your name. Bless us in our worship this morning, Lord God, we ask and pray that you'll keep our minds from worldly thought, that you'll help us, Lord God, to focus only on you. We'll keep you first in our heart and in our minds. That our praise, honor, and glory that we give unto you will be acceptable in your sight. These things we thank you for and pray in that wonderful, magnificent, most awesome, holy, and precious name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, be thy will. Amen. Revelation chapter 3, please. We are now on the last of the seven churches of Asia. Uh, and then from this point forward, the book of Revelation should go a little, a little more rapidly. But Laodicea, a lukewarm church. They were located... Um, off the banks of the Lycos River, it had a famous banking center, famous health resort, and those mineral springs, which made it a popular retirement location for the wealthy. Laodicea was a very wealthy city. In fact, they were so wealthy that in 61 AD, they had a a pretty uh, major earthquake. It destroyed parts of the city of Rome kicked in and said, hey, let us give you support. Uh, and they refused support from Rome and took their own resources and repaired their city. They were very, very wealthy. But here's the problem. They were so wealthy that that wealth infiltrated the church in such a way to where the church became indifferent about social issues. And there were gods there. There was Caesar worship. There was the god Escalapus. It was, if you will, a place that was dishonorable in so many ways, and yet so beautiful in other ways. They were famous. They were famous, if you will, in the medical center for ISAB. They had for ears. They treated ears. They were a famous place for fashion. They had soft, glossy um, black wool that they that they imported and exported, and they made prize clothing, and they were a great place. But yet, the church lost its honor. They lost who they stood for. And so Jesus opens up in verse 14 of Revelation chapter 3. And to the angel of the church in Laodicea write, The Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God, says, 
this. Now, amen simply uh, means firm or steadfast. We use it in the sense also where it's so be it. At the end of a prayer, we may say amen, so be it. We agree earnestly with the things that are being spoken or have been spoken in our presence. Jesus used the word amen often at the beginning of a sentence or a statement, and he said verily, verily, or truly, truly. So Laodicea found themselves, because of their great wealth, to become indifferent when it came to social issues. Jesus opens up by saying, you may be indifferent, but I am not. I am that standard, if you will, that firm objective position. I am the amen, the faithful, the true witness, the originator, the source of all creation. The church of Colossae received a letter from Paul. Colossians 4 and verse 16, the Bible tells us that Paul said, take this letter when you're finished, give it to the church at Laodicea. In Colossians chapter 1, it spoke of the preeminence of Jesus Christ. And it spoke it so well that we know Laodicea understands the message that Jesus is displaying to them when he says, I am the beginning of the creation. I am God. Laodicea is the only congregation of the seven that has nothing praiseworthy spoken of. Nothing. Absolutely nothing. Look at verse 15. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I would that you were cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. So Jesus uses this term, lukewarm, metaphorically to illustrate to us or depict a condition that, that produces nausea. Right? There's this nauseating condition that Jesus is trying to predict to them. The water supply that came from the city, well, it came from the hot mineral springs about six miles from the city. And by the time it arrived at Laodicea, the water became lukewarm. That warm water was sulfuric, and that sulfur water was nauseating to the taste and smell. Laodicea had aqueducts and pipes that brought that water down to them. But just as you would spit that nauseating sulfur water out of your mouth, Jesus says, that is the exact same way that I feel about you, church, when you're lukewarm. You get the picture? Can you imagine the image that God is trying to display to his people? I mean, the city of Heropolis was about six miles uh, in the other direction. They had the hot springs. And that water that reached Laodicea was lukewarm. You know, the water wasn't hot. And, and the water wasn't cold. It really served no real purpose. That's a lukewarm church. I mean, really, what purpose do you serve when you're lukewarm? In verse 15, I know your deeds that you are neither cold nor hot. I would that you were cold or 
hot. In other words, Jesus is saying, get in and stay in or get out. Well, God wouldn't talk that way, would he? Revelation 3, verse 15. You see, God expects something from us because he gave us all. And he continues to give us all. Turn to 1 Kings for just a moment. Chapter 18. God says, do not straddle the fence. You got to make your minds up, church. We have to make our minds up as to where it is that we live in our hearts. Do we live with Jesus or do we live for ourselves? We have to make our minds up in our commitment, our level of commitment. Are we going to serve God or are we going to serve Satan? See, there are only two options. We either serve God or we serve Satan. There is no in-between. And God says, I don't want you lukewarm. I don't want you straddling the fence. It's like a marriage. You know, you can't be in the marriage and out of the marriage. You're either in or you're out. Right? And so we're married to Christ. So we're either in and we're in it to win it. We're in it forever. We're in it because of our love for God. Or we are out. You have to make that decision. You see, Israel had the same problem. They had the exact same problem problem in church when we're afraid to say this when we're afraid to say what jesus says we've got problems when we're afraid to say what jesus says i would that you were cold or hot either in or out we have problems we'd be willing to call a spade a spade god calls a spade a spade and says church when you're lukewarm you serve no real purpose for me israel suffered in the exact same way they worshiped Baal and Asherah. Under Ahab the king, there was this, this terrible situation. Jezebel had been killing all the prophets. Elijah was left. He felt alone. Elijah stands before 400 prophets of Baal and 450 prophets of Asherah. And he stands before them and he preaches to them the message of God. And this is what's interesting. He says to them in verse 20, So Ahab sent a message among all the sons of Israel and brought the prophets together at Mount Carmel. And Elijah came near to all the people and said, How long will you hesitate between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, follow him. But the people... Did not answer him a word. They were on the fence, church. They were on the fence. And how simple it is. If, if God is God, serve him. If Satan is God, serve him. But you've got to make your mind up. Right? And we know that Satan is not God. So we have to make our minds up, church, to follow God with all of our heart, with all of our mind, with all of our strength all of our soul, with all of our energy. Matthew chapter 6. See, this is very serious. We're talking about salvation. When we speak of salvation, we're talking about and speaking of church members who are lost, who die lost, not because God failed them, but because they failed themselves. And we have to make our minds up as to where it is that we're going to be. You cannot be on the fence. So Jesus says it like this in Matthew 6 and verse 24. No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and hold to the other, or he will love the one and despise the other. 
but you cannot serve both God and man. You you got to make your mind up. You, you're, you're loving one, you're hating the other, you're despising the one, holding on to another. You you've got to make your mind up, church. We have to make our minds up. You see, it's, it's no longer it can no longer be about trying to please my neighbor. It has to be about trying to please God. It can no longer be about trying to fit into the world. It has to be trying to fit in with the Lord. And if we're willing to make our minds up and get off of the fence, what a blessing we are to God. But God says, I don't want you cold, and I don't want you warm. I want you hot. I want you on fire. I want you, I want you to love me like I love you. I want you to love me and, and treat me honorably. I want you to respect the fact that I sent my son to die for you. And he didn't just die. He suffered. He suffered his entire life, the 33 years on the earth, but he suffered going to that cross. And while suffering, he had my name and your name written on his heart. And he went to the cross and he died for us. He died for you individually, for me individually, so that we might be saved. You cannot be on the fence for a man For the Son of God who died for you. How do I feel about God? Revelation chapter 3, please. And verse 16. How do you feel about God truly in your heart? Well, that will be demonstrated, manifested through the lifestyle in which we live. So Jesus says in verse 16. So because you are lukewarm, and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Complacency is a spiritual killer. You know what happens, church. I mean, I, I, let, let me just, I, you know, we, don't all, we don't all mean to become complacent, but it happens. We, we don't necessarily mean to be lukewarm. We come to the Lord with the energy and the excitement in the Lord and then over time, we become a little too comfortable in our relationship with the Lord. And it's like um, an untethered boat, if you will, at the dock. It doesn't just end up in the middle of the sea. It slowly drifts away. And before you know it, it gets further and further and further and further away. And that's what Christians do. It's a slow drift. It's a slow drift. You know, it's easy to miss. You know, at first it's hard to miss one service. You know, first it's, no, I, I need to be there because, because I need it. Right? And, and then after we've been a Christian for a little while, we, maybe we don't need God as much anymore. I don't need it as much anymore. And so then we start asking the question, well, do I have to come on Sunday night or Wednesday night? Or, or you know, do I? Because we start failing and falling and faltering and moving further further and further away. And then it doesn't really bother us anymore. And then we justify it. And we start moving further. And someone says, well, you know, well, preacher, preacher, you know, uh, the Bible doesn't say you have to come Sunday morning and, and Sunday evening and Wednesday night. And you say, well, you know, no, it doesn't. But the Bible does say they met every day. I think that includes Sunday morning and Wednesday night. <laughs> and then he said, well, it doesn't say you have to come back Sunday night. Well, no, it, it doesn't. But it does say they met until midnight. So we could just stay here. Right? I mean, you know, we, we start looking for reasons not to come, to not be faithful to God because we're drifting further and further away. And then we become intellectual and we intellectualize it. 
And we say, well, we're looking for book, chapter, and verse. But see, you don't want to look for book, chapter, and verse because book, chapter, and verse says the church loved being together. And they were together on a regular and a continual basis. Church, you got to get off the fence. I know this morning, you say, oh, boy, I'm, I'm offended. I'm not trying to offend you. But that's what Jesus says. Get off the fence, right? So look at verse 17. In verse 17, he says, Because you say, I am rich, and have become wealthy, and have need of nothing, and you do not know that you are wretched, and miserable, and poor, and blind, and naked. You see, they felt so secure and self-sufficient in their material wealth. They had a little money in their pocket, and they, and they had food in their home, and they, and they had houses, and, and they had refrigeration, and they had transportation. We have cars. They didn't really need much. I mean, how much do we need from God, church? Come on, right? I mean, you know, we're doing all right, right? We're pretty affluent in one way or another in comparison to the rest of the world. And here was the scary part. The scary part was that they felt so secure that they didn't realize that they felt like in their hearts that they didn't really need God. Look, look, here's what the Bible teaches us. There's nothing wrong with having money. That's a gift of God. The problem is when the money has you. You know, that's the issue. This congregation was in such misery they didn't even know it they were so far gone they didn't even realize their misery so jesus says you're financially well off he says because you say i am rich and you become wealthy and you have need of nothing you You do not know that you are. What, what, Lord? You you do not know that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. You, You don't even see it. You see, you were intellectual. You were very smart. So you, you invented uh, treatment for the ears and, and treatment for the eyes, and you have this eye salve, and you can, you can anoint the eyes to, to gain clear vision. Brother, we're very smart, right? The world today is very smart, right? We're wonderful, and we got lots of amazing things in, in medicine and life and everything you can imagine, houses, etc. We're very smart. See, the church at Laodicea, they didn't realize, like some of us don't realize, that we're wretched and poor and miserable and blind and naked. They had ISAV to help to clear the vision, but they couldn't, they couldn't understand or see their spiritual vision. They couldn't see that they were spiritually lost. They couldn't even see it. Think about that for a moment. I mean, step back away from life for just a moment and ask yourselves as you pray to God over this lesson, ask yourselves, Lord, Lord, am I spiritually blind? Have I lost my true vision? Lord, am I not seeing Clearly, you see, they made a premium glossy wool, and they all oh, that the clothing they had were fashionable. It was beautiful, but they, they they weren't clothed in righteousness. They had on they had on the wrong clothing. In fact, look at chapter two for a moment in verse nine. Two verse nine. 
I know your tribulation and the po- your poverty, but you are rich. And the blasphemy by those who say they are Jews and are not, uh, are the synagogue of Satan. Well, what does that have to do with anything? Well, I'll tell you what, here's the problem. See, the church at, at, at Smyrna, they were poor, but God says they were rich. And the church at Laodicea, they were rich, and God said they were poor. The difference is your spiritual vision. What are you looking at? And I would say it in this way, they're shopping at the wrong mall. (laughs) They're shopping at the wrong mall. Look at verse 18. Jesus says, I advise you to buy from me gold refined by fire that you may become rich and white garments and that you may clothe yourself and that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed and I salve to anoint your eyes that you may see. Not only have they been shopping at the wrong mall, they've been buying the wrong stuff. Turn to Matthew chapter 13 for just a moment. In verse 44. Their focus was on fashion. The fashionable wool and, and the clothing and, and all the things that come with, with, with money and riches. But they're buying the wrong stuff. They weren't like this man in verse 44 of Matthew chapter 13. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in the field which a man found and hid. And from joy over it goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking fine pearls. And upon finding one pearl of great value, he went off and sold all that he had and bought it. You see, we ought to be buying things, purchasing things, shopping for things that save our soul. Save our soul. Revelation chapter 19. You you might say, preacher, uh, what exactly do you mean by that? Revelation, actually, skip back. I'm going, Matthew 22, I need to go back. Matthew 22, I don't, I don't want to skip this. Matthew chapter 22, and I apologize for that there, just, just for a second. I almost skipped something that I, I, don't, I don't want to skip. And, and that is, in Revelation 3, Jesus says, you need to buy from me. Right? Shopping at the wrong mall. Buying the wrong stuff. And the, and the wrong vendor. <laughs> the wrong vendor. And, and, and look, the clothing they were wearing was fashionable. But they had the wrong kind of clothing when it came to serving Jesus. Right? You, you can't just show up to heaven one day and, and think that God is, is just going to say, all right, don't worry about it. Everything's okay. I'm going to take you as is. God says, I have expectations of you. Verse 11, Matthew 22, verse 11. Listen. But when the king came in to look over the dinner guests, he saw there a man dressed in wedding clothes, or not dressed, excuse me, in wedding clothes. And he said to him, friend, how did you come in here without wedding clothes? And he said, he was speechless. And then the king said to the servants, bind him hand and foot and cast him into the outer darkness in that place. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth for many are called, but few are chosen. Someone said to me one day, well, God's going to have to just take me as is. And I said, you got the wrong God in mind. 
God has expectations. And if I'm on the fence, God doesn't have to take me because I'm on the fence. God says, I need you to get off of the fence. Focusing on the spiritual, right? The spiritual. Now Revelation chapter 19. The, the spiritual, the spiritual. It's all about the spiritual. Isn't it all about the spiritual in your life? Isn't that the most important thing? Or have you been drifting slowly but surely, slowly further and further away from the Lord? Verse 7, Revelation chapter 19. Let us rejoice and be glad and give glory to Him. For the marriage of the Lamb has come and His bride has made herself ready. And it was given to her to clothe herself in fine linen, bright and clean, for the linen is the righteous acts of the saints. What are you doing for God? What are we doing for the Lord? Back to chapter 3 of Revelation. Jesus says, I advise you to buy from me because you have on the wrong garments. You're shopping in the wrong place. You're buying from the wrong vendor. And you're focused on the wrong things. Verse 18 says, I advise you to buy from me gold refined by fire, that you may become rich in white garments, that you may clothe yourself, and that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed. And I say to anoint your eyes that you may see. White raiment, the righteous acts of the saints. I salve to help to enlighten you, to see the spiritual nature. Can you see the spiritual war that's going on? Second uh, Corinthians for just a moment, uh, please. Chapter 4. Do you see the spiritual battle? Are you engaged in the spiritual battle today? Or have you given up? Spiritual battle. Righteousness versus wickedness. Evil versus good. Which side of the fence are you on? Or are you just on the fence? you got to be on one side or the other, brethren. And God is commanding us to be on one side or the other. Is your vision clear or is it clouded right now? If you will, verse 16 of 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Therefore we do not lose heart. But though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. For momentary light afflictions is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Are you looking at eternal things? Or are you looking at just the physical? Are you stuck in the flesh? You gotta make a choice. We have to decide which side of the fence that we're going to be on. And let me say this to you. This lesson that Jesus is speaking to us is a lesson that says, get on the fence or get off the fence. Be, be hot or cold. Get in or get out. And then he says, let me tell you why I'm speaking to you in this way. See, we see this and we'll listen and say, whoa, I tell you, you know, uh, God is sure on our backs. My foster kid, my granddaughter actually said that to my wife. She said, she's on my back. (laughs) 
She's on my back. Because she loves her. Because God loves you. Because the preacher loves you. And that's why we're on your back. That's why God is on our backs. Revelation 3. Listen to what he says in verse 19. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. If I didn't love you, I wouldn't tell you. Thank you, God. Isn't God wonderful? God is so good. God loves us so much. He says in Hebrews chapter, uh, chapter 12, that, uh, verses 7 through 13, that, that if I, if I didn't love you, I wouldn't discipline you. But because I love you, I discipline you. Right? And how important that is. If he didn't love us, he wouldn't tell us. If he didn't love us, he wouldn't say to us, hey, heaven is real. My throne is real. And in order to get to heaven, you've got to turn your life around. If he didn't love us, he would say, oh, just keep going the way you're going. Don't worry about it, but in the end. But he loves us, and so he tells us. He loved the church at Laodicea, and so he told them. Verse 7 of Hebrews chapter 12. The Bible says, it is for discipline that you endure. God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? But if you are without discipline, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Furthermore, we had earthly fathers to discipline us, and we respected them. Shall we not much more rather be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time, as seemed best to them. But he, he disciplines us for our good, that we may share his holiness. All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful, but sorrowful. Yet to those who have been trained by it, afterwards it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. Therefore, strengthen the hands that are weak and the knees that are feeble and make straight the paths for your feet so that the limb which is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. And then comes this amazing, this amazing thought. That the church of Laodicea had fallen so far away from God. The church of Laodicea had drifted so far away. The church of Laodicea was, was balancing on the fence. And they'd been doing this for so long that Jesus says, you gotta understand something, church. There's a point in which I will no longer be with you. Think about that. How devastating. How devastating that would be that we would put God out of our hearts. Revelation 3, please, verse 20. Jesus, Jesus says to them, the church at Laodicea, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and will dine with him and he with me. Now listen. God is not going to knock that door down. He's going to knock. Can you hear God knocking? He's going to knock on that door. He's just going to knock. And you have to make a decision. We have to make a decision. I have to make a decision as to whether I'm going to open that door and let God in. 
But my first question would be, how did God get out of his house? That's the first question. How did he get out of the house? He's already in the house. How did he get out? Well, the answer was clear. They put him out. Have you put Jesus out of your house? Think about that. And not only that, lukewarmness. You see the danger of lukewarmness. Here's the, here's the other issue. The other issue is, the first question, how did God get out of the house? So the other issue brings the second question. When God is put out, who comes in? Turn to Matthew 12. Begin to close this lesson out. Matthew chapter 12 and verse 43. If you put God out, Satan is coming in. Verse 43, the Bible says, Now when the unclean spirit goes out of a man, it passes through waterless places seeking rest and does not find it. And then it says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when it comes, it finds it unoccupied, swept and put in order. Then it goes and takes along with its seven other spirits, more wicked than itself. And they go in and live there. And the last state of that man becomes worse than the first. That is the way it is, will be with this evil generation. The last state, the second state is worse than the first. That is riddled throughout the scriptures, Old Testament and New Testament. When you put God out, the things that you said you'd never do, you will find yourself doing because Satan comes in and occupies that home. Revelation chapter 3, please, and we'll close. In verse 21, we'll close this lesson out. God says, church, get off the fence. He who overcomes, I will grant to him to sit down with me on my throne. As I also overcame and sat down on my father's throne. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Church this morning. As we think about this lesson, as we ponder the beauty and the blessing of God. The question this morning, church, is this. Are you on the fence? And if you're on the fence, what is it going to take to get you off the fence? That's between you and God. I leave that there. Repent, the Bible says. Repent. If you are not a child of God, we encourage you. We pray you will come to the Lord, that you will surrender to Him in the waters of baptism. Having heard His word and believed it and godly sorrow in your heart, you repented of your sins, you want to turn your life around. Confess His name before men, be baptized, immersed in water for the remission of your sins. And then stay true to God until you leave this earth. This morning the lesson is yours. If there's anything that we can do to help in any way, please make it known and remember that God loves you. God bless you.